Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. And, of course, as usual, I'm sliding in first, uh, trying to get this program done. We did two hours this morning. Uh, we talked about a great deal of the subject matter, which was, uh, why so many people in prison? And uh, we also, of course, we prefaced it with a little bit of talk about Klaus Schwab and his new uh, Great Reset uh, they're gonna, the World Economy Forum is going to do a great reset and guarantee all of you a job. Like in Egypt, when all of you had a job. <laughs> you were slaves, but you had a job. It's gonna protect millions of jobs. It's gonna make a more equitable, a greener solution. But, uh, kind of a soiling green solution, in my opinion. But anyway, we talked a little bit about them, and we've done other shows, a little bit about what's going on with that. Um, I'd like to do some videos on that. We'll see if we can get around to it. But then we started talking about prisons and we started talking about all the people that are in prison and why so many people are in prison. And I'm sure if you didn't watch that show, you probably got all kinds of things because they made all these illegal drugs and everything. If you, you let everybody out that was uh, in prison, uh, all, all, just for instance, all the blacks were in prison because of illegal drugs. That's 1.4% of the people in jail in prison, all the incarcerations. And we talked a little bit about what, uh, how much it costs, you know, anywhere between thirty and $50,000 per a uh, uh, prisoner. And uh, that's pretty spendy, but are you saving money? Well, you save a little bit of money because criminals... Do like in Great Britain, sixty billion dollars or sixty billion pounds worth of damage a year, but it only costs a little less than two billion dollars to house them all. Well, that's not really all. See, that's the thing is, you never get them all, and so supposedly it saves money, but it increases your taxes. And so we were going through the different myths about all this, uh, which of course that's one and. That uh, a lot of people can't be released because it's too dangerous to release them. And uh, we showed you some of the statistics on that so that you knew that that really isn't, uh, that really isn't a factor. And then private prisons, oh, they've made a private prison so it's not profitable put everybody in prison. No, it's not profitable. It's only uh, less than 9% of all the incarcerated people are held in private prisons. And even the private prisons really aren't private prisons. They're just money makers where they get government money. And then we talked a little bit about the way that we used to do prisons, which uh, Alexei Tocqueville came over here to study, which we actually built prisons with charitable contributions. One of the reasons why that is a lot of the people that end up in prison are mentally defective or uh, have some sort of other issue. And you either, so the prisons weren't just to, to, uh, incarcerate you and punish you, but was to help rehabilitate you. But you can't be a mamby-pamby rehabilitator. You have to actually be putting things together in a way that really makes sense and really does some good. And ultimately what it's coming down to, we, I didn't get to the fifth myth 
they talk about the, the the slave labor in prisons. Well, they used to have chain gangs and stuff like that, but you didn't get that much work out of people. But that isn't the case. It's just it's uh, only about five thousand people in prison altogether that uh, are employed by private companies, and that's about one percent. And uh, still, if you spread it out into all correctional institutions and then partial. Uh, use of labor still runs only about 6% of the people incarcerated in state prisons. So that's not really a factor either. It's not, it's not dealing with 2 million people in prison. What, what is that all about? They tried to blame it on prosecution, but I showed that prosecution is actually lowered. Now, I'm not saying that prosecutors and the multitude of laws and Private uh, prisons, like uh, especially when it comes to ju- juvenile delinquents, we know some of the juvenile delinquent private prisons were bribing judges to make sure that they kept their beds full. And those judges got over a million dollars in bribes. So, yeah, there is that influence. But it doesn't seem to be the major contributor for the reason so many people are in prison. Now, we compared it to Sweden. Sweden doesn't have, you know, America is made up of mostly immigrants. Except for American Indians, which are also immigrants, but they were just earlier immigrants. And, uh, of course, many of the American Indians were conquering other nations all the time. You know, they'd conquer another tribe, another nation, uh, another another uh, group of Indians would conquer this group of Indians and they were fighting back and forth over territorial imperative. When we came along, that became the big challenge. And uh, when I say we, I mean Europeans. It was more than Europeans, Asians, all kinds of people came here. And uh, the real problem, the Indians had a poor immune system. They weren't ready to meet all these different people coming from all these different lands, bringing their own diseases. They were they didn't have a robust immune system. And so many of them died out. And people think that's not fair. Well, it, it may, life's not always fair. But the reality is, the reason the Europeans had a robust immune system is a few centuries, a few centuries before, they had all died out because of their own plagues. They came because they opened up trade routes. So as you became a globalist society, you were going to have new diseases traveling around and you needed that robust immune system. Now, they tell you, you cannot have a robust immune system. You cannot deal with these viruses that come around unless you have a vaccine. Everybody, 7 billion doses of vaccine have to go out. Now they're saying that it'll end up being 14 billion, maybe maybe 28 billion because you're going to have to have the booster shots in 6 months. All this is bypassing the natural way in which human bodies become healthy, human societies become healthy, and that's what we're trying to do with a lot of the government programs. We're trying to make human societies strong, secure, healthy by creating social structures or governments that uh, provide benefits for the people but exercise authority one over the other. And if you had studied history, you know that that would be disastrous to go that way. To, to create a system 
where the government forces the contributions of the people and then turns around and provides protection from either invasion or disease or or, or famine. It it doesn't work. As a matter of fact, it undermines the character of the people and society. And then you end up with uh, a society that is battling each other. And we showed how this was also correlated with the like the new RNA vaccine, which actually is injected for the intention of stimulating your immune system to make the antigen, the bad thing. The antigen is the bad thing. The antibody is the good thing. But they're going to stimulate your body to produce the antigen so then your body also turns around and produces the antibody and fights the antigen that you produced. So, they're literally creating a war in you and their uh, system of social welfare by force is creating a war in society. That's why you're seeing the streets on fire. That's why you're seeing the rioters or protesters turning into rioters is because... It alters the character of society. It also cuts you off from the divine inspiration of God. Now, you go back to your immune system. You you know, you have a lot of things that are connected in your immune system. But I was just telling somebody, I saw so many biologists moving from a position of atheism to a position of intelligent design Believing that there is some sort of God force in life to make life so abundant, so complex on so many different levels and remain so consistent against all odds. They say that this could not be coincidence. There has to be some sort of collective divine intelligence moving through the biochemical uh, apparatus of humanity of of wildlife of uh, horticulture that has to be there in order to create that far stretch of imagination and uh, conformity so they they believe that it is because of the fact that it is so amazing and so now we have guys saying oh you'll never get back to normal until you have a vaccine because your body can't produce what you need to live. Well, the reality is that's exactly what they're doing and exactly what we should have done was to depend more upon our immune system. There's all kinds of things you can do to enhance your immune system. And many people are doing it, but many people don't know how to do it. And we've talked about that too at times. So anyway, what is the fifth myth before we get too far into the program and don't get everything covered? The fifth myth is expanding community supervision is the best way to reduce incarceration. Community supervision. What does that mean? More police, I suppose, which includes probation, parole, pretrial supervision is often seen as a lenient punishment or as an ideal alternative. This is where you have these uh, Wednesday child programs and stuff. Child molesters go to them. I have the curriculum hidden away so that nobody ever sees it for like Wednesday child programs for people who are convicted sex offenders. It is an abomination. It is coming out of your universities and people. What happens is, you know, whether it's anger management or whatever it is, you have to take these courses. You have to pay for the taking. You have to pay for the teacher to give you these courses. 
and then uh, that's part of your punishment. You're not in jail. You get to go to work, but you have to show up to class. These classes are horrible. If you had any common sense, you'd know. If I could run them by, I know, top psychologists, and they would say, this is insane. And they have. So, it isn't really helping anybody. As a matter of fact, the teacher, the two people sponsoring one course I know in one county, one of them was a sex offender before. And then, like we said this morning, a sex offender. What is that? It was that somebody who slept with a girl who was uh, 17 and a half, and he thought she was 25. And so now that makes him a child molester? Or is it the guy who, you know, kidnaps a seven-year-old, uh, rapes her, strangles her, and throws her body in a dumpster? Far different crimes. But you, you just say sex offender, and they, they lump them all into this one group. Can't do that. But anyway, this guy... He was extremely voyeur. He, he, he needed other people to stimulate him by telling their story, their problem. And uh, then his actual psychologists that he pulled out of the dregs of the universities were all black, all you know, all black lipstick, all black hair, all black clothes, uh, black shoes, black fingernail polish, black eyeliner, and uh, was pasty, pale, dangerously strange. Made the men bark like a dog before they go to the restroom. Uh, she would, and if you complain, you're in denial and you go back to jail. So she just had this unbelievable power. Everybody was saying this is crazy, but everybody else said, pay the money, take the course, and then you get to go home. Otherwise, they're going to put you in jail. She just had this un, unreasonable and uh, unmanageable power over these men's lives. And like I say, I know happen to know one person that was being forced to take the course and pay for the course. He was set up and railroaded. He didn't he wasn't a sex offender. He wasn't a molester. The people who had charged him um all kinds of people came out and testified. I mean, her own mother testified that she made a living charging men with sex abuse. She's been doing it for 20 years. Uh, the daughter that supposedly was uh, molested, she said it never happened. And she, I mean, she's older. She knows. I talked to her. She said it never happened. The DA hung up on the mother who said that my daughter does this all the time. And when I say daughter, the daughter of the daughter, the granddaughter, said it never happened. It never happened. And we found out that she actually drugs people. And, I mean, she's terrible. And while he was still being forced to pay for this Wednesday child course, she was off in another state doing the same thing. You get to the point where you accuse somebody of this, you're going to go to court, and you get them to settle. You get them to give you a big lump sum and you go away. Well, the guy I knew didn't couldn't afford the lump sum, so he was just ground up in the system. And there were a lot of people to blame. Sheriff at that time was to blame. The parole officer was to blame. She was she was a bit of a witch herself. And all this stuff goes on. And the people don't know anything about it. And these people are empowered because the people don't know anything about it. Because you're not doing what Christ said to do. You elect these governments. You give them power. You tell them to go take care of it so you don't have to worry about it. And they get all this power and all this money. And they become corrupt. 
and they destroy the lives of other people in your community. You don't care because you gave them the job. According to Christ, no, the tens, hundreds, and thousands, they're responsible, so they have to know what's going on. You don't create prisons in the kingdom of God. You don't need to wall in the criminal in the kingdom of God. Remember what the the one uh, Greek city-state said who did not have walls around. That was one of the things that the Golden Calf, that was also called the walled-in camp. And uh, they supposedly built the walls to keep other people out, but it was actually to keep them in. They had other things. You couldn't use gold. You couldn't have gold. That's why it was all in the golden calf. You couldn't use it as money because your loyalty, you had your own wealth. You didn't have to stick around. So they didn't create loyalty by putting all your wealth in a golden calf. That's what that's what they were doing. That's what a lot of the city-states did. I mean, it was against the law in Sparta to own uh, gold. Uh, they used the lead money, which wasn't valuable anywhere else but Sparta. So it forced you to trade with them. It forced you and, and weakened you so you couldn't go and trade with other people outside of your community. And it, it forced your allegiance. That's not the way you should do it. You should do it like Christ said, like Moses said, like the prophet said. But most people don't know what that is because they've already gone over to that system of forced offerings instead of charitable offerings and forced the contributions of their neighbor. So because of that, it weakens you. This is what it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They weakened the poor so that the poor were were unable to deal with the problems. And this is what's happened is your courts are corrupt. I knew a judge. Uh, he was actually up in Prineville. He actually was in a few places, but in Prineville, he had a neighbor on this place where people vacation and had a lot right next to his. And uh, he asked if he could use run across his property with a pipe to get water out of the ditch because it was easier for him to get water out of the ditch that way than to go up where he, uh, where his property was near the ditch. And the guy said, sure, I'm not using the property. And, and he let him do it. And then the next thing the guy knew within about a couple of years, he had to sell the property because he needed to pay some bills. And, and he offered to sell it to the judge. And the judge said, I already own it. He didn't sell it. The judge just went and filed on the property, filed a deed on the property. That's a, He just did that. He didn't. The guy didn't sell him anything. There was no exchange of money. His name wasn't on the deed. He just filed a deed that he owned the property. And the guy ended up, tried to fight it in court. But, I mean, he, the judge didn't need to hire a lawyer. He needed to hire a lawyer. So he hires $10,000 worth of lawyers. And it gets appealed because the judge is jerking him around. He's got to pay the lawyer another four or $5,000. Well, he's only going to get so much for the property. So he just walks away from it. Now, I knew it. County clerk knew it. Uh, you try to tell the other people in their churches that this is going on. He's just stealing property. I could, I could show you dozens of situations like that where banks stole property, uh, judges stole property, lawyers stole property by finagling the system. They know the ins and outs of this system. But the churches don't care because 
You're not sitting down in tens, hundreds, thousands of people don't care about you as much as they care about themselves, so they just don't even mess with it. That's what's going on. So, again, the problem is that the people are not taking care of one another in righteousness. So anyway, that like I said, this first fifth myth, this last one we were going to cover is expanding community supervision, but that that com- community supervision is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's not what they're suggesting. They're suggesting the more probation, parole officers, and pre-trial supervision, etc., and to try to lower the cost of the offense, misdemeanors, minors, offenses with major consequences. Low-level fugitives live in fear of incarceration for missed court dates. I knew a guy who was going on vacation. And uh, years and years before, he had a child out of wedlock when he was in high school. But he paid child support all the time. But he had a job that took him out of the state. He was sending the money back, but somebody was diverting the money and not paying it. He didn't know that until he got back. And uh, the the mother of the child complained to the courts and then developed a life of its own as soon as he got back and found out that the money he was sending back was not getting to where it was going. He paid it up. And they had all the money and the kid grew up and the kid's a good friend. And, you know, he, he was a good father even though he never married the girl. He did support them and had no problem with it. But that one little complaint developed a life of its own. Twenty years later, that's still on the books in a local county. He's on vacation, had tail light out, good stop. The cop runs him, finds out that that warrant, because he didn't show up to court, because he didn't get the court date, because he was out of the state at the time. He was at, you know, off. He was off the coast. He was out in the water, and uh, when he got it sorted out. When he got back, nobody canceled that original complaint. And so it sat on the books. And so now on vacation with his whole family, uh, minding his own business, got a tail light out, they run him. He gets arrested and put in jail. That's part of that statistics of the two million people. Because there are county people that are in jail just overnight or over the weekend. And I think it was on the weekend. I can't remember all the details. I know this has happened to person after person from Florida to Oregon to Montana. It happens. That could be improved in the system. But if you were sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, instead of depending upon men who exercise authority one over the other, you would have the backup you need to take care of business when there is a problem. Everybody would be watching your back. That ju- that kid who went into court, he wouldn't have to hire a lawyer for $10,000. His whole congregation would show up. Maybe his congregation of a 100 would show up. And they would learn really quick. You don't mess with those guys. This is why Israel was so strong and effective. You could, you could mess with uh, Amalek's and Malachites, but you mess with an Israelite, they all show up. And that's what you need to do. I've seen this even in the, up in Michigan in the Muslim communities. They have everybody on their phone. And if somebody comes in and seems to be giving an harassment of some sort, they just text everybody in a, a group text. 
you know, come a running and everybody comes and they back down. Everybody, you know, because the, there's numbers. I've seen Jewish community do this. Where they would call up, they did it with phones, they called up uh, when s- children's services came. And they said, you know, we got children's services here. Everybody, suddenly children's services car is packed in the street with all these other people. And they're not doing anything, they're beating them up and tarring and feathering them. But they know they just can't get away with sneaking in and tagging somebody and going home. Because they're basically cowards. They're they're domestic terrorists, uh, political terrorists, whatever you want to call them. Comes to the question is what, how are we going to handle these problems and uh, these these uh, inadequacies of society? And of course if we were doing what Christ said we would be able to do that, just that. Thomas Sowell in uh, The Cost of Crime said Britain has gone much further down the road that the New York Times is urging us to follow. In the process, Britain has gone from being one of the most law-abiding nations on earth to, to overtaking the United States in most categories of crime. Yeah, because they have higher than Sweden for people incarcerated. So how did they do that? Why did they do it? What is going on? Well, that's that's the sixty-four million dollar question: is what is going on? How how is this all functioning? Well, a few things that tells us in the Bible, like Genesis eighteen twenty, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. But what is their sin? In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. That is their sin. That's what you do with socialism and Marxism. You weaken the poor. So, in Isaiah 3, 9, it says, The show of their uh, countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it now. Woe unto their soul! For they have rewarded evil unto themselves. What is that evil? They coveted their neighbor's goods. They forced the offerings of the people to take care of the needy of society. And that is contrary to the teachings of God. Woe unto their soul. Or Lamentations 4.6 For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment and no hands stayed on her. So this this can bring you down quickly, this this punishment of iniquity of the daughter. And this has to do with Sodom. And of course Sodom and the sin of Sodom was in a time of affluence. Sodom was a socialist nation. So in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They just forced the contributions of the poor. And we're not supposed to do that. So, we're doing it. But if we repented, we could do something else. We could do it another way. And we, we wouldn't have to compromise the standing of those who do it with and for us. We also have in Ezekiel 16.49... 
which I thought was a little interesting. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of this sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. So that there are people, like that's what we see on welfare. There's a lot of people that aren't working, but they're getting a check anyway. So they have this abundance of idleness, and this fullness of bread and pride, but they weren't taking care of one another. And he says, was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And so that's what our charity should strengthen people. It shouldn't just make us feel good. How how a man who holds, this is Thomas Ole, how a man who holds the entire population of a country as his prisoners and punishes the families of those who escape can be admired admired by people who call themselves liberals is one of the many wonders of the human mind's ability to rationalize. Yet such is the case with Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro, I mean, there's Bernie down there admiring him. You know, admiring his railroad station. You go out to where the poor people are and they're suffering and they, they have to work for almost nothing. And how many people in the prisons and how many people were executed? It's amazing. How could you even think greatly of him? But the reality is, is that, I mean, Gaddafi was a far better leader than, uh, than, uh, Castro. Uh, he, he certainly wasn't killing all kinds of people. As a matter of fact, he was loved by most of the people. Those insurgents hired by people like Hillary Clinton and, and, you know, because she was Secretary of State and they shifted money around to pay for these guys, they were out to, to get Gaddafi. And the only reason why is because he was moving away from the socialist money of monetizing everything in the U.S. currency and wanted to monetize the oil in gold denarii. And uh, they couldn't have that, and that's the same reason why they did away with Saddam Hussein, and the same reason they invaded East Timor. If you don't know where that is and when that happened and why that happened, then you're uneducated. But anyway, there are a number of reasons. From lack of investment in school, that's what they say. This is why there's a prison, that lack of investment in schools and economic opportunities to draconian drug laws. Well, we already showed the drug laws. I'm I'm reading from an article. But I just took a fairly, you know, an article that just went down step by step. So the, the first thing they talk about is this lack of investment in schools and the economy. And so is that why there's so many people in prison? No. Then they also talk about draconian drug laws. Well, we showed that if you let everybody out who was in jail based on drug laws, that uh, it would make hardly any difference at all. So, that's not it. So, what's the other thing? It talks about uh, criminalized poverty. Well, nobody actually criminalizes poverty. To depend upon the government to take away from your neighbor by force, according to Christ, that's criminal. You can't be a Christian and do that. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. To be laying in wait, to look privately for the blood of others, to all have one purse. Those have been forbidden since the Old Testament. But people still go back to that. The dog returns to his vomit and the pig to his mire. 
they give a few numbers in this. They talk about 25% of the prisons and 5% of the world's population. That adds up to 2.2 million people behind bars in this country in America, including more than 11 million people who move through the local jails each year, all at the cost of $80 billion every year. Meanwhile, 70 million people, about one-third of the work-age Americans, have some type of criminal record. Wow, that's just amazing. So anyway, one of the things, they talk about this and they say, first, we focus on the community because the root of the crime and incarcerations are too often planted in unfunded schools, neighborhoods, where jobs dried up long ago. So again, this guy was going down in the... Fairly lengthy article. I wanted to shorten it up a little bit, but he's blaming it again on unfunded schools, unfunded economy, uh, draconian drug laws, and he goes through the, the focus uh, on the community because the roots of crime and incarceration are too often planted in underfunded schools and underfunded neighborhoods. So he's saying the government is the solution. We need more government taking more money from everybody and putting that money back into schools and in the community, and then we'll have less crime. I'm telling you, that's why you have more crime. It's because you altered the scenario. I'm not saying you don't put money into schools, but basically all your children should be home taught. You have a lot less crime. I mean, unbelievably less criminal activity coming out of children that are home taught rather than those children who are taught by the government. In public schools. But really, what is the key element of the fabric? Is it not enough money in the schools? What it is, is single-parent families. That is one of the biggest contributors. Also, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. That's always a good way to do it, tell a parable. As once upon a time, there was a school. And it was a private school. And it had a lot of financial problems. It couldn't raise the tuition. It didn't have as many students as it used to have. And so they were going to have to let some people go. Well, they started, you know, they cut back in several areas. But one of the things they cut back in is the maintenance. So they had one maintenance man instead of four. You know, some of those being part-time. And they said, so... The maintenance man said, I can't keep up with things with four people. So, we're going to have to change something. So, what they did is they got the kids to get extra credit for doing much of the jobs of the janitor. I mean, it only takes a few hours after school. And instead of having one or two janitors cleaning all the rooms, they put monitors and they rotated the jobs and all the students had to clean the rooms themselves and clean the hallways. That's the way we did it in the seminary. I was in charge of the uh, the museum for a while, and there was a lot in the museum that I had to clean and organize. And then I was in charge of the refectory, serving food to other people uh, for a while. And that is what that is what was character building. And the same thing happened in the school. They used to have trouble with graffiti. They used to have trouble with uh, trash laying around. The students policed themselves. They became more responsible. They didn't shun the job off on some teacher or 
or principle. They took care of it themselves. It was a vast improvement for everybody. So, that's what you need when they talk about community involvement. They don't talk about giving the tax collector the power to take more, you know, levying more taxes against you, forcing you to contribute, giving that money to somebody else who gets to hire their nephew or their son and put him on the payroll. No. Or their friend or their, somebody who has the same politics as them. No. It's your responsibility. You diversify authority and then authority will not corrupt. And that that is the key to a strong society. Not socialism, not Marxism. Those are the antithesis of that individual responsibility. One of the third things he says is we need to focus on cell blocks between those who are incarcerated in America too often leave prison with less capacity to succeed than when they first sent were first sentenced. They are released often into the world Far different than the one they left behind without the skills or capacity to lead, to lead law, law-abiding lives. As a result, they fall victim to the revolving prison doors. And you don't want that. So those, those three things are major things, but is that really, really what it does? And we talked this morning and we kind of hinted at it now that, uh, no. No, that's not it. It's father absence. How come there's father absence? LBJ's war on poverty and before him FDR's New Deal. And that is going full circle now from what we were talking about this morning. That is what Klaus... Klaus is a New Deal guy. He is advertising exactly what the New Deal is. Some of the other quotes I have here, like Hosea... The day of visitation are come. The day of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet's a fool. The spiritual man is mad. The multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. So what is the great hatred? And we've talked about this before, this animosity and enmity. It comes out. And that's what you see in this left crowd that are supposedly just protesting, always turns to fire, turns to trying to kill somebody, turns to uh, doing property damage. Why is that? Because of the great hatred. Why do they have the great hatred? Is they haven't learned who or what it is we are supposed to live and love by. And so we need to repent and turn around and go the other way. We need to do something different. And so we're having the Burning Bush Festival here this next weekend. We're going to talk about some of these things in the kingdom. Now, what we've been saying, you can go to preparingyou.com and you can look up a lot of things. We have hundreds and hundreds of audios. We have numerous books available for free. We have, uh, and uh, when I say that, now some people, you know, they write me, send me your books. No, they're free online. I'm not, I don't have the money to print these up and mail them to you. If people were donating so that I could do something like that, I probably wouldn't do that. I would use the money for other things. Lots of stuff is shifting around. We've seen in the last four or five months how things so drastically changed in America, even though, uh, there really hasn't been any great threat. The biggest threat is fear. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. FDR was right about that. But what we should have done is fear FDR. Because that 
That was a big mistake. What are we going to do if we sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands? That's what Christ commanded that. And we show in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, that this is how the church was organized. We show in the Church of the Free Church Report where we started going wrong. Remember Klaus was saying, don't look back. Yeah, because if you don't look back, you won't realize how far off the trail you are. But the reality is we were going off the trail, not just in 1908, 1913, and 1916, and 1933, and all these key dates where things were uh, faith, hope, and charity, and started thinking about depending upon government. And that was the whole story of Lady and Godiva, and we have that in the beginning of the Free Church Report, that Lady Godiva wasn't taking off her clothes, she was taking off her wealth. The story about her taking off her clothes came a hundred years after her death. She actually was, after 1066, Norman the Conqueror was passing laws to all those people who had to kneel down. See, here, let's tell that story. I think we've got enough time to tell that story. Yeah. What was going on in 900 A.D.? I mean, most people don't understand this history. Now, there was a, a church over there in Italy and in parts of Europe, and it had a great deal of influence, but it really wasn't that big a church at that time. It was actually falling way behind what it really wanted to accomplish. And they were sending out missionaries. They did have some money. They had consolidated some parts but uh, uh, in some territories where they were getting contributions. And what was happening is they were getting funded by kings, princes. They were usually very small pro- provinces that they were kings, no big, huge country. But they were getting these small provinces to fund their church. They would tax the people and take that money and give it to the church. Now, the church was in charge of the social welfare of the people. Because that's what religion meant a thousand years ago. That's what it meant 200 years ago. It was how you took care of the needy of society. That's what religion is. It even comes from the Greek word threskia that means what you do. What you do to what? To love your neighbor as yourself. The whole thing with Constantine's church when he freed the the uh, Christian said we weren't going to persecute him anymore. He says, what he was doing is opting out of the welfare state. And he was saying, you guys take care of yourselves now. And elect a bishop and elect ministers and then they receive that money. I'm not going to take that money. I only want money for defending the country. And then also conquering other armies where I get to put the money I got from conquering them in my pocket. So this is this is what they were doing is they were organizing uh, their church along these other lines depending upon men who exercised authority one over the other to provide them with contributions. Constantine had done that from the very beginning. Constantine ordered all the bishops, all the overseers. They're not bishops like today. They were like bishops like Christ appointed. He ordered all of them to come to a council. There was over 1,200 known bishops that were given this notice. Well, 
319 showed up. That the entourage was 319. Some of those were probably it's probably only about you know maybe 200 actual bishops showed up. Now there's a debate on that, but say okay there was 319. Well, when 319 when it was over because a lot of them had walked out. When he said everybody can become Christian, he actually ordered all of Milan to get baptized. He didn't say anything about repentance. He just said, get baptized. And there was some repentance in that. Because what he was going to do is turn the temples back over to the people. The people were going to have to contribute to the temple. And then the ministers of the temple would have to take care of the people. It was giving some control back to the people. It wasn't going to be the government forcing the taxes to take care of the needy that you just had to pay in. And if you didn't pay in, you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to eat at their tables, at their altars. And that's what they were doing. And so they all got baptized and then they wanted a bishop and they went looking for a bishop and they said, let's do Ambrose. One bishop for the whole town. That's not the way we were organized originally, but that's what they were going to do. And they, he hid because he didn't want the job and they finally found him in a brothel and dragged him out and said, we want, we want to elect you. And he says, okay, but I got to go talk to Caesar. So he goes and talks to Caesar. And he says, uh, they want me to do this. And he says, fine, so you can resign from your present job with Caesar and become this bishop of Caesar's church. But he said, I have to take some time off because I don't know anything about Christianity. I don't know how it works. So he went and studied Christianity and he came up with his version of Christianity that did not really involve repentance. And that's that's how he got started. And uh, it was somewhat successful at the time, but uh, it really wasn't doing things like the real Christians who were de- not depending upon men who exercised authority, but them who served. And that's... That's really, so that was supposedly in the conflict. Well, of course, Ambrose brought that conflict back up. But let's jump ahead because we don't have time to do 700 years of history here. But we jump ahead and now all of a sudden kings like Stephen and Debullion are rising up. And uh, they're getting bigger and bigger armies. They're learning how to put bigger and bigger armies into the field. And they're told... Uh, that they want to conquer this area and that area. And then we talk about some of the attempts to do that back in 600 A.D. in the book Thy Kingdom Comes and how it was thwarted because the people were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and they marched on the guys who were trying to do this the same as they marched on Charlemagne. Okay, what happened when they marched on? Well, he hid in his castle and they were getting closer and closer and he sent out envoys to go and negotiate with them because they were going to... They were going to conquer him because he was out trying to oppress people under this government of forced contributions instead of free will contributions. And so, anyway, there he is. He sends out his invoice. The invoice come back and says, did you make a deal? And they said, no. And they says, why not? And he says, didn't you talk to their king? And they, he says, they don't have a king. He says, well, how can they even function without a king, somebody to rule them? And he says, they all say they are kings. That was a voluntary society. But it takes people dedicated and caring about their neighbor. You can't just say, yeah, I'll join that. You guys all come and help me. But don't expect me to come and help you. Don't expect me to show up for meetings. But if I have trouble, I'm going to call you. Because I love Jesus, you're all going to send me money. 
Well, if you love Jesus, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll meet every week and try to find out who needs help. You can do some singing afterwards. But that's, you're supposed to be tending to the needy of your society, the people that have trouble. And that's how you bind yourself together. So, now, like I said, the Bullion, Stephen, Martin, uh, Gilliam, William the Conqueror, the, originally the name was Gilliam, but uh, William the Conqueror, they're going around conquering people. And what's the other thing they did? They're being crowned by bishops. And by being crowned by bishops, they're giving recognition to the bishop. And they'll give gifts to the bishop. Constantine gave millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to these ministers who were elected like in Milan and other places. Gave them silver and gold and land and all this stuff so that they could take care of the needy of society. Real Christians... But taking from him was taking from somebody who exercised authority one over the other and Christ said, forbid that. So right off, their church was established by breaking the rules of Christ. We can't break those rules. We can't look for benefits from men who exercise authority, at least our ministers. And all of you need to be working so that you can provide those necessities of society and those aids of society without depending upon men who exercise authority one over the other. Like I said, at a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem and uh, the destruction of the temple, where the Christians were doing pretty good anyway because they weren't reliant upon the temple. James got thrown off the temple, but they were so spread out and diversified, they actually were thriving and, and surviving during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. But now we have this new armies marching across, conquering one valley after another. And I could go through all the names of all the different valleys that they were conquering and the atrocities that took place. But we have William the Conqueror ordering a Norman to go and force the contributions of the people in England. See, all these guys who fought, we'll, we'll, we'll set back just, let's see. Okay, enough time. Step back just a little briefly. All these guys, you know, like William the Conqueror, why did he get to come to England? There was Harold. There was actually two kings named Harold. But one of them made a deal with William the Conqueror that if you raise an army and help me against the Jews and the Saxons, then I will give you a portion of my kingdom. And then he raised the army. He never had to fight it because Harold was able to defeat them with the militia. And uh, his own soldiers. And so they didn't need him. So he didn't want to pay. And he says, well, I already built this army. I've got these expenses. you got to pay. And so it ended up going to trial by combat. And uh, when the conqueror came over and fought Harold and won. And Harold, you know, lost his eye and all this stuff. So now, now jump ahead 20, 30 years. And the king, whoever he is now, is ordering... That uh, the the local governors uh, force the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. And somebody complained. Somebody said no. You know who that was? Lady Godiva. She's in the Doomsday Book. She was one of the wealthiest uh, women, uh, 
one of the only women mentioned in the Doomsday Book. And her husband was actually a Norman. She she was actually a widow. And so, therefore, uh, she had an estate of her own. But she also shared an estate with her new husband, uh, the Norman. And, uh, and he was ordered to do this. He was going to do it. And she said, no, don't that we can do this with contributions. Don't force the contribution. It will destroy the people. Just like Plutarch knew a thousand years before. That if you get accustomed to forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and depending for your livelihood on the property of your neighbor, you it will turn you into a savage as you institute the rule of force and violence. And you'll feel perfectly okay with burning down stores and destroying other things. And she knew this was what would happen. So she said, let's not do that. So what did they do? She took her wealth and others saw her do this and, you know, she kind of, you know, matching funds kind of thing. And they built hospitals and they built libraries and they built schools. She is the patron saint today. She's still the patron saint for architects because she built so much stuff with her money. And her husband, who was also wealthy, matched the, that, those funds. And a hundred years after she died, a monk wrote this silly story of her taking off her clothes and riding through town so that everybody would forget what she actually did. You have to do that now. You have to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another and make it so you do not need the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. So until you do that, all I can say is peace on your house. If you're coming to the Burning Bush Festival, get on uh, Facebook or on the network and let us know you're coming so that we can look out for you. If you want to know what other things you might need to get or bring, Give us a call and uh, or connect it on the, the network and we will talk to you about that. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.